0: Amen. Good morning again. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at this final commandment in verse 17. The 10th word or 10th commandment. This is what the Lord says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we do pray that as all of us sit under under the authority of your Word, that you would do that work by the power of your Spirit through your Word, that you would... Conform us to the image of your Son, and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Augustine of Hippo said this, said the entire life of a good Christian is, in fact, an exercise of holy desire. You do not see what you long for, but the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see and be utterly satisfied. So, my brethren, let us continue to desire, for we shall be filled. Such is our Christian life. By desiring heaven, we exercise the powers of the soul. Now, this exercise will be effective only to the extent that we free ourselves from desires leading to infatuation with this world. In this quote, Augustine reveals that desire itself is not wrong, particularly when our desires are turned toward heaven, toward the good things of the Christian life. Where desire gets us into trouble is when it is bound up together with an infatuation, infatuation with the things of this world. Indeed, the Hebrew word in this tenth commandment does not speak in and of itself to negative desiring. Rather, it is what is desired that turns it from proper desire to coveting. It is not desiring in and of itself that we are commanded to refrain from. It is desiring what does not belong to us, what belongs to our neighbor. And the list that is given here is not exhaustive, and it's not meant to be either. In fact, we are told that the command includes Anything that is our neighbor's, that, of course, is exhaustive. Anything that belongs to our neighbor is off limits for us to desire. To desire a wife can be a good thing. To desire a home can be a good thing. To desire economic stability can be a good thing. Yet to desire, to desire our neighbor's home, our neighbor's wife, our neighbor's wealth is not good. For it can and often does lead from desire for those things that belong to our neighbor to actions whereby we try to secure what belongs to our neighbor. And this is a reminder uh, to us, reminder to us that God's concern is not just with wrong actions, but with wrong desires as well. God isn't just concerned with what we do with our hands and our feet. He's also concerned what we do with our minds and with our hearts. In covenant with us, God does not just seek to align our actions toward their proper end, but to align our minds and our hearts toward their proper end as well, which is, the, which is the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Harmony with God, harmony with our neighbor, involves our heads and our hearts as well as our hands and our feet. Indeed, Jesus shows us in His Sermon on the Mount where He references Old Testament law that the right interpretation of the law includes a regulation on what goes on inside of us as well as what we do outside. This is why he says, for instance, in speaking about adultery, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Our desires, brothers and sisters, matter. Our desires matter. And God's people are to be those who refrain from coveting what belongs to our neighbor. And how can we have confidence that we can keep this command? Well, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very precious and very great promises, though that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Through Christ, Peter tells us, we have been delivered from the corruption that is in the world and granted everything in Him that we need for life and for godliness. There is no good thing that He will withhold from us if it is to our good. All God's promises are ours in Christ. We don't have to want for anything nor take what belongs to our neighbor. Instead, we should heed the words of James, who tells us in, in, uh, in chapter 4, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions." The issue is not desire. The issue is where our desires are turned. Sometimes our, de- our desires, our passions are turned toward what does not belong to us. And God knows that. He knows that our hearts wander. He knows that our minds wander. And so He says to us in covenant with Him, do not covet what does not belong to you. Because everything you need, I will give it to you. Amen, people of God. And so God has set us free in Christ from a life lived to our own passions, promising to give us what we need if we ask Him for it. So I would ask us this question this morning and have us answer it a few minutes together. What does it mean to keep this commandment? The first thing is to embrace contentment to embrace contentment. Part of what leads to covetousness is discontentment with our own state, which grows out of a desire to have more than what we actually need. Covetousness and greed are actually close companions of one another. But how is contentment formed in us? The Apostle Paul tells us when he says to the Philippians, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have Revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He goes on to tell them that in response to their generosity, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That Paul's contentment came from his confidence that Christ would provide strength to face plenty and want, and that in in the end, whatever Paul needed, God would supply it in Christ. The God who met Paul in all his circumstances was the same God who was entering into covenant or who entered into covenant with the people of Israel in Exodus. They didn't need to covet what God had given to someone else because everything each individual would need, excuse me, my voice just left that quickly, and everything the whole community would need, God himself would provide it. They didn't need to covet someone else's wife or property or wealth. Rather, they could trust God to provide. And this trust would lead to contentment, a state of peace with what God had given to them. Indeed, when we are not content, it is because we are not trusting the Lord, not trusting Him to give us the things that we need and that are to our good. But it may, as I said earlier, this lack of contentment may also arise out of the spirit of greed. So, we should remember the words of our Lord who tells us, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If it's not found in the abundance of our possessions, then where is it found? It is found in relationship with God through Christ the one who owns everything and provides everything we need, He is our contentment and He is our freedom from coveting. because everything we need, He has promised to give us. I don't have to long for what does not belong to me because I have a God who provides everything for me. Amen, people of God. And so the call here is to faith, to act of faith in God's promises, to provide for us, contentment, is rooted in the exercise of this faith, and through it we resist the temptation to covet what belongs to other people. And so, when we are in a place of want, hunger, or need, faith looks like believing that God has not abandoned us and is not going to leave us. It is this faith that allows us to give away one shirt if we have two, and to share our food with those who are hungry. Rather than taking or desiring what belongs to another, we can trust that God will be with us in our seasons of lack and provide us with what we need. And this is actually the true demonstration of contentment. It is trusting the Lord to provide for us. Amen, people of God. And in that trust, it is the freedom to give generously even when we lack because we know that God is not going to leave us It's a peace that keeps us from craving what someone else has because we know God will give us what we need. And so I ask you this morning, where are you struggling to have this contentment? Where are you struggling to be at peace knowing that what you need, God will provide it? Indeed, where are your eyes wandering? Where is your heart wandering because of a lack of trust? in God. Wherever it is, God wants you to know this morning that you can trust Him. He will not withhold what is good from you, but will provide what is good for you. You don't have to lust for what is not yours, because God will give you what you need. Amen, people of God. So keeping this command is, first of all, about embracing contentment. Keeping this command is also about loving our neighbor. It's about loving our neighbor. Coveting is inconsistent, to say the least, with the call to love our neighbor. If we truly love our neighbor, then we are not moved by a desire to have what belongs to them, but rather by a desire to protect what is theirs. Love for our neighbor should cause us to desire what is good for our neighbor, what causes them to flourish in life. That desire for their good is then followed by actions toward their good. Coveting is the opposite of love, for in coveting we desire what belongs to our neighbor, which can and does at times lead to actions to take what belongs to them. And so I remind you again of the words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, a passage you've heard me reference before. Paul writes… For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. All the commandments are fulfilled when we act out of a spirit of love for God and love for our neighbor. And so then, uh, so when God calls us to not covet what belongs to our neighbor, He is actually calling us to love them, because this is what love looks like. The Westminster Larger Catechism, we are told in the answer to question 147 about the duties of this Tenth Commandment, The duties required in the Tenth Commandment are such a full contentment with our own condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our our neighbor as that all our inward motions and affections touching him tend unto and further all that good which is his. It's our call. It's to, in our hearts, in our minds, desire our neighbor's good in every way in every area of life. and So before we allow our hearts to crave what belongs to another, before we say things like, if I had their money, I would… If I had their house, I would… If I had their spouse, I would… If I had their job, I would. I'm not saying Christians say that. I'm just saying, like, I've heard that kind of stuff before, so just putting it out there. <laughs> we don't talk like that in the church, it's, it's just the folk on the outside. before we even let our hearts go there. Remember that covening is the opposite of love. And it does the very thing Paul calls us away from. It wrongs our neighbor. And within the household of God, it wrongs those for which Christ died and gave his blood. Amen, people of God. So let's live instead toward each other in light of Jesus' word, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. How? How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. If you have love... For one another. And Jesus didn't come and take, he gave everything, including his own life. Amen, people of God. <laughs> That's how we're called to love each other. And so I said that coveting is a failure to love our neighbor. And so the call here is first of all, to repent, to repent where we have failed, to love our neighbors by lusting after what belongs to them. Where, where, we, where, where we have acted on those lusts, the, the, repent, the, the repentance will, will, will also include repair, will include restoring what we have taken or working to restore relationships we have broken through our covetous actions. It will mean the hard work of, of, of working to restore uh, uh, trust where trust has been broken. This isn't easy, but love for our neighbor requires it. It requires a repentance where when we have acted out of our covetousness, we work to repair what our covetous actions have broken. Where where it has not spilled over into action, what has remained in our minds and our hearts, we must still repent before our God and ask Him to help us regard our neighbor's with love, to work for their good, to work for their flourishing. And so, we must examine our own hearts and and our own lives, asking if we have been guilty of breaking this commandment. And if we have, we must repent and walk in the love that God calls us to. So, have you failed to love your neighbor in this way? If so, I want to remind all of us the Spirit is in us, Not just so we can come into this place and throw our hands up and, you know, cry out aloud and worship. The Spirit is actually in us to help us love each other. (laughs) And when we have failed, the Spirit is in us to help us to, to restore and repair what our sins have broken. That that's the power of the Spirit. That's the new life of Christ that is in us. It 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 enables us to resist sin, but also to put to death the deeds of our body. But when we have failed, the spirit is in us to help us repent and walk in newness of life. And so remember God's word. This is the commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen, people of God. We keep this commandment. We keep this commandment when we embrace contentment with what we have, trusting that God will give us what we need. We keep this commandment by loving our neighbor, desiring and working for their good and their flourishing. We also keep this commandment by being good stewards over what God has given to us. Coveting, desiring what does not belong to us, also impacts our ability to care for and steward the things God has actually given to us. If my eyes are on your stuff, it makes it difficult to keep my eyes on the things God has given to me. If my heart is craving what you have, it makes it difficult to give my heart to what God has given to me. Bottom line, I I can't steward my own household well if I am coveting the things that are in yours. If I am desiring the things that you have, it makes it pretty difficult to steward the things God has given to, to me. I can't love my own spouse well if I'm coveting someone else's. I can't take care of my own property well if I'm coveting someone else's. I can't manage my own house well if I am craving someone else's. Coveting at some level causes me to neglect the love, the responsibilities and duties I have to that which God has already given to me." Wasn't this… Wasn't this what was uncovered about David when he lusted after Bathsheba, when he coveted Uriah's wife? He forgot in that coveting all about the responsibilities of love that he had to his own household, that he had to the people under his charge. And ultimately, the responsibilities and duties of love that he had to his own God. Turning his eyes, his heart toward Bathsheba caused him to turn his eyes away from those whom God had given him to love and to care for. And what was the price for that turning? The price was diminished trust from those under his charge, dysfunction throughout his own household, and the displeasure of the Lord. Notice I didn't say the removal of God's love, for God continued to love David even as He continues to love us when we fail. It's the glory of the gospel that our God doesn't remove His love from us even when we fail. Yet we can and do experience His displeasure and His discipline. And coveting, brothers and sisters, leads us to a failure to steward with care and love the things that God has already given to us because it causes us to take our eyes and our heart off those things and place them on what belongs to others. Israel, as God's chosen people, were to be a light to the nations, showing them an alternative to coveting which was manifested by Acts of greed among the nations around them. God was saying to His people, you are not to be like those nations. You are not to desire and covet what does not belong to you. I am sending you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. You will have everything you need so that each individual in the community will be cared for. Your heart and mind doesn't need to turn toward somebody else's stuff. For I will provide for you. My call for you is to care for and steward what I am giving you to set your love and your affection and your care on what I am giving to you. And so, you will be a light to the nations. So, you will be a demonstration to them of my glory, my goodness. You will show them what it means to care for the things God has given to us and not to lust after what does not belong to us. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to take care of what God has in His grace and His love already given to us, to keep our hearts and our eyes on what belongs to us rather than on what belongs to another. And so it begs the question, are we caring for our own households? Are we caring, for, caring well for those whom God has given to us, our own spouses, our own children? Are we caring well for the material resources He has given us, stewarding our uh, material goods both for the benefit of our households and for those around us? That's the call. It's to take care of what God has already given you rather than coveting what belongs to someone else. This means taking the time to cultivate the relationships God has given to you. It means working to strengthen your own marriage and your own relationship with your children. It means taking care of your own employees, making sure they have what they need and are cared for. But it also means taking care of our own resources, using them for the purposes for which God has given them to us to help our own families and to help those who are in need in the body of Christ and around us. If we're stewarding well what God has given to us, if our eyes and heart are on what God has already given to us, it will be pretty difficult to be longing for what somebody else has if you're really giving yourself to caring for what God has already given to you. Amen, people of God. God has set us free in Christ, from a life lived to our own passions, promising to give us everything we need if we ask Him for it. And it's this new life that we now have in Christ that calls us away from the sin of coveting and toward the love for our neighbor where we commit ourselves to their good, to their flourishing. We keep this 10th commandment by embracing contentment, with what we have. We keep this 10th commandment by loving our neighbor, desiring and working for their good and protecting what is theirs. We keep this 10th commandment, brothers and sisters, by stewarding well, caring for what God has already given to us, to His glory. May God give us grace in Christ to live a life free of coveting for His glory and for our own good and for the good of the world around us. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory and honor and thanks because you have given us everything that we need. You promised. Seek first the, the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all the things that we long for, you say, will be given to us. Will be given to us. We don't have to desire what belongs to someone else. We don't have to take what belongs to someone else because you're faithful. David says, I've been young and I've been old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor see begging bread. Help us, Lord, in our minds and our hearts to be free from greed, to be free from covetousness, to be free from that sinful desire whereby we long for, long for what does not belong to us. Help us instead to be a people filled with generosity, filled with love, filled with a commitment to protect what belongs to others, filled with a commitment to help others flourish. Father, we pray, where we have failed Help us to repent. Help us to turn from our sin. Help us to seek your forgiveness. Help us to be healed in relationships that we have broken through our covetousness, Lord. And Father, I pray this not just for the people, for us who are sitting in this room, but for your people throughout this city, this state, this nation, this world. Help us to be an example to the world around us of what it looks like to love each other, to care for each other, and to protect each other. I pray and ask this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's st-